Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Today is episode number 77 of the Out of the Question podcast, and as usual, we'll tackle a question and attempt to go behind it to reveal scriptural truth. So are you ready, Steve? I'm ready. All right. Here's the question. How should the Christian deal with frustration? Hmm. Well, I think there's a a bigger question there behind that we're going to ask, and that is, what does frustration reveal about our view of the sovereignty of God? I think that all of us are going to experience frustration, but this question is really asking, what world do we live in uh, that we allow frustration to control our actions or our emotions? So Noah Webster, 1828 Dictionary, defines frustration as the act of frustrating, disappointment, defeat. And then, of course, if you go to the verb frustrate, it means literally to break or interrupt, hence to defeat, to disappoint, to balk, to bring to nothing. And the word nullify and bringing something to no effect is also conveyed. So isn't that part of living in a fallen world, that we're going to be frustrated and experience frustration? Absolutely. Well, and having frustration is an expected part of growth. Uh, There's a great uh, book by St. Augustine called Confessions. And in the 11th book of Confessions, he talks about the concept of God in relation to time. And he says that the time uh, and When we hear time, we think of a clock, a calendar, a schedule, that these things are part of our creation, that God is outside of time, but that's because God is outside of growth. He's already perfect, separate, whole. But we who are made inside of time, according to to St. Augustine, have the pleasure of time. Uh, And in this fallen world, time allows us the opportunity for something that is very unique to creation. It allows us the opportunity to change, to transform, to be redeemed. And so while we look at our world and say, of course, frustration is a given, it's given for a purpose. It's given in the space of time that you might grow or be transformed into something more than you are today. So frustration or being frustrated is not necessarily a sin. Is it safe to say that prior to the fall, Adam and Eve could have experienced frustration? I think that prior to the fall, frustration would have been something that didn't make you sweat, all right? So uh, there would still have been work and planning and uh, different cares and anxieties prior to the fall, but they would have been read in the context of the Lord's right here with me. The Lord's near. If I have an issue, I can walk over to the garden where the Lord's hanging out and say, Lord, I'm really struggling with coming up with names for all of these different snakes. They look exactly the same. (laughs) The frustration of coming up with 500 names wouldn't have been something that would bring you down or brokenhearted. It would draw you closer to the Lord who gave you the task. So possibly, sounds like what you're implying, is that some of the things that we automatically put a negative connotation, oh, I have to go to work, oh, Monday again, or thank God it's Friday, or is that work in and of itself 
where it will involve exertion and planning and having to learn things that without sin, that whole picture would have looked and been experienced very differently. But then sin sort of messes it all up. That's right. And sin itself has come to a certain transformation in the life of a Christian. Uh, this past Sunday, I preached on the idea of Sabbath. And I think uh, Rush Dooney's idea of Sabbath is very related here to the idea of frustration. Because when we talk about sin and we talk about the work and the frustrations that we have as parents or as coworkers or as those who lead organizations, projects, uh, we can be overwhelmed. And you used the exact same phrase that I mentioned in my sermon on Sunday of living as though Friday is our day of relief. You know, we're recording this on a Friday, and I'm sure there'll be many parents who come up to me at the school and say, well, enjoy your weekend. Good thing it's Friday. Um, and this is a very worldly way, a very sinful way of viewing rest and frustration, because it says that the Sabbath is somehow a break or a, a relapse or a uh, escape from work. But what Christ has done through his sacrifice and what Christ has done to the Sabbath is he has transformed it from the end of the work, the end of our leisure to the renewing of our work, right? The Lord says, don't grow weary, not because you're going to get a 24 hour break, but don't grow weary because the Lord himself is going to strengthen you, uphold you. The Lord himself is going to give his spirit and give you the power to overcome whatever is currently frustrating you. So you mentioned Adam and Eve or Adam going to God and saying, okay, how do I name this other snake? I, I want to call it something. But if you think about it, the very crisis of faith they experienced and lived out was when given a proposition or a challenge to what they had been plainly told, instead of recognizing God as sovereign, who could answer a question that they might struggle with, Instead, they went ahead and took a, an option that turned out not to be a good one. But in response to it, not only did they blame each other, but they experienced the frustration that's always going to be present when God isn't your first resort as opposed to your last resort. That's right. The this Proverbs say it this way, that, you need to trust the Lord with your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You know, if many of us just take a step back from our frustration, how much of our frustration is viewing our struggle, our challenge, our children, <laughs> our project in terms of our own understanding? Andrea, you and I have this conversation all the time where you have to correct me and thinking that I understand how the world's going to turn out, right? Or, or I understand how people are going to behave. I have this, uh, this silly superpower of predicting people's <laughs> motives, of predicting people's actions before they even happen, and I allow that to frustrate me. I allow uh, anticipating the negative of people to direct how I respond to God's call in my life. Instead of saying, this is the vision God has given me, I allow how other people who haven't received that vision will react to me to guide how much I obey God. I think this goes back to the passage in Hebrews where it tells us that Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It would be foolish to think as a human being, Jesus couldn't have been frustrated with disciples and apostles who ran away when things got difficult. Mm-hmm. The, it, it, I think frustration maybe needs to be broken up into two separate words, one that's an obedient response and one that's a disobedient or unfaithful response because there's a, a sense of frustration in just stopping. You know, if I try to stand up and somebody bigger than me is holding down my shoulders, they could be frustrating my actions. And so that's a real thing. But if I never get up again because somebody might hold down my shoulders and that's the reason I don't pursue what God's calling me to do, then I've really become a defeatist in terms of believing that God is going to give me the power to fulfill the calling he's given. That's right. Well, you mentioned uh, Christ and his, his uh, <laughs> frustration with the disciples. He had a frustration for the entire nation of Israel. When we can hear the words of our Lord who wanted to gather the, the children of Israel like a, a hen gathers her chicks, right? Uh, he, he says, oh, Israel, right? Uh, how long shall I put up with you? <laughs> this is the frustration of our Lord, um, which is a common human emotion to, to experience frustration. But it is pushing past that frustration and finding you know, God's calling for what you're to do and being obedient to that that helps us move through from emotional venting into you know, kingdom living. And emotional venting is a very popular thing. We think if we can vent about something and discuss how frustrated we are with people or situations or things, that somehow we've exonerated ourselves. I've come to look at it when people are just spouting off like that, is responding like, are, are you confessing a sin here? You know, Do you want me to forgive you for not having your eye on the goal? And it's like, no, 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 you're supposed to feel sorry for people because I'm just so frustrated. Well, so what? You know, it, it's down to if, if you're only going to look at what stops you as opposed to where the goal is, I don't see how anybody could ever play a sport. You know, I'm not big on football, but there are all these guys lined up against you and you're supposed to get the ball over the line at the end of the field. If all you saw was your opposition and you didn't know what you were trying to do, it wouldn't be much of a spectator sport. That's right. And the football player has to make the decision that they're going to run the ball no matter who's on the other side of the line because that's their their role, their responsibility. I'm reminded of uh, the Israelites going into the promised land and seeing the, the giants in the land and coming back and complaining. And this is, of course, written in the first chapter of the book of Joshua, complaining that their their plan has been foiled, right? They're, what are they going to do? And the Lord responds, and you can read this right here in verse 9, says, Have I not commanded you? Therefore, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. We might throw in here, do not be frustrated, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The problem with frustration is not so much that the world is so difficult and challenging that we can't get our place in there. The problem is we start by looking out at the giants here and thinking we've already lost. When the Lord says, haven't I commanded you to destroy the gates of hell? Haven't I already commanded you to let your light shine? Haven't I already commanded you to let the gospel go from nation to nation, to be a good father, to be a good mother, to be my representative in this world? 
And that's where we should go when we are frustrated. We should say, what has the Lord really commanded me to do? And am I willing to push through that so that I can be faithful to the Lord so that he can uphold me and he can strengthen me? Because that's really what the Lord's going to challenge you in. Wherever you are afraid, that's where the Lord's going to put your challenges because he wants to grow you into his image, which you today are not completely made into. So it's like the response should be, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And I know that sometimes when I am envisioning a task, one that I think has been a God-assigned task, and what I'm seeing is all the opposition and the obstacles, it's a good perspective to go back to the scripture, read the Psalms, Read the various places when the people of God seemed up against a wall. A good example would be in the book of Acts, where you get jailed, you get beaten up, and then when you're back with your people, you praise God that you were considered worthy of this. That's submitting to the sovereignty of God as opposed to being upset that you're not God and you can't determine what's right and wrong and what the immediate outcome should be. That's right. This is an area where modern science, modern psychology is catching up to the wisdom that God has said thousands of years ago, the wisdom of the Proverbs and the wisdom of the apostles. St. James describes this idea of counting joy all of our trials, right? All of our frustrations are really us experiencing the trials God is using to grow us. But St. James says that by working through our trials, it produces this godly character and this character trait called steadfastness. And this idea of steadfastness, this uh, is very similar to a psychological idea of, of willpower. And if you read the modern psychologists, they'll talk about how willpower and our ability to make decisions or, or continue to do what we want to do is like a muscle. And so what St. James says about steadfastness of how our frustration and our trials produces steadfast Christians, so too is true of our ability to have and strengthen our willpower. And I think that kind of dovetails into discussions you and I have had on other subject, how people view change as bad. Some people are frustrated because things aren't the way they've always been. Well, if you look at it, nothing's ever the same as it always has been. When I look in the mirror today and I look at pictures of me from five years ago, guess what? It's not the same as it was five years ago. So this idea of a static sort of, I I want things the way I want it, and look, this is changing, and the inflexibility of not willing to adapt and say, okay, as you put it, maybe God wants me to grow in this area. Maybe there's something new I have to learn. So many people bunker down and decide that whatever is happening, especially if something is changing, don't examine why it's changing. Don't examine if this is a better way to achieve God's call in our lives. Just say it's not the same And they become very resistant to moving in terms of the goal of seeing the kingdom realized. Yeah. Well, and I think it's not just an issue um, with growing some part of you or developing your character alone. I think that there are places in our lives where we can experience frustration uh, as a pattern. 
right? I know my wife and I, we have three children uh, who we like differently on different days. Uh, our, our middle child frustrates us more than our other two. Um, but there are things that we do that encourage our child to frustrate us, if that makes sense, right? Oh, it there, totally makes sense. <laughs> there are, I'm sure there are a fair number of people out here who've parented difficult children or challenging children who'll know exactly what you're talking about. That's right. And so they, they see uh, that there are frustrations we can experience that are a result of our actions or our inability to be consistent with what we believe to be true. We, we know the patterns. We know that if we let our children stay up too late, we know that if we're not consistent about discipline, we know that if we put them in front of a television for too long, that they're going to be frustrating for us <laughs> the next few hours or the next day or the next week. Uh, but how many of us who are parents who recognize those things don't allow that to be translated to the other parts of our Christian life, right? We allow the same people, the same people who post on Facebook or the same people who we see at Christmas parties or in our office or at family reunions or wherever, uh, we allow those things to frustrate us. How many of us do the same commute every single day and yet are frustrated every morning at 8.30 when we're behind the same stack of cars in traffic? We knew this pattern. We knew it was going to frustrate us, but we allow what's happening in the world to determine how our God is working through us today. Now, listeners should know that Steve just got personal there because initially when I started working at the school with him, um, I would talk about my frustration of my the commute and all the traffic and what should take 20 minutes can sometimes take upwards to two hours. And you know what? If you turn on a book that's on recording or you listen to a good sermon or lecture or you just put on relaxing music, a lot of that pent up, this isn't what I want. If I were God, I would do this differently. A lot of that can be mitigated by putting your attention on something that builds you up as opposed to just focusing on those things you don't want. That's right. Well, and there are other situations, other relationships where frustration exists and we need to work through those and see frustration um, as a symptom of systematic problems, right? There's a reformed uh, writer who wrote a book called uh, How to Exasperate Your Wife, right? And so exasperate is kind of a similar idea as frustrate. Um, but in that book, he talks about how marriage itself uh, can be very frustrating, especially when we have divided roles, like in a Christian household where one parent is taking care of children or, or one parent's taking care of the uh, earning the bread, as we might say. Uh, but there is a frustration that can be experienced as those roles collide with different schedules, with taking care of children, of uh, financial difficulties. There are frustrations that exist in our marriages that are very much linked to our identity in Christ. And this uh, reformed author talks about how uh, exasperating your wife is exactly what the apostles are talking about when they describe the roles of submission and headship. They're saying that you, as a husband, have a role to not frustrate your wife. You are to be a leader and to lead your wife who is frustrated out of that uh, and not to be the source of her frustration, that your job and responsibility is to order your home and that these frustrations do not exist. And so 
not that that will ever be done perfectly, but frustrations when they do arrive are not just petty things that women need to get over, but represent a failure in the headship of a husband. It also points to the fact that there is supposed to be good tension in our relationships. If there was no tension on a wire, for example, picture the tightrope walker who's going across the tightrope. If there's not tension there, he's going to fall because that tension allows him to move. And I think in our godly relationships, we should recognize that there's always going to be this kind of tension, or we could say um, opportunities to be frustrated, which means that we then take God's law and apply it to the situation and have a good resolution. One of the most obvious things, now men have probably witnessed it outside, but any woman who's given birth knows that right at the point of delivery, there's this tension between the baby who got too big for where he or she is and wants to get out. And then there's this pain associated with this baby wanting to get out. So you want to stop the pain because it hurts and the baby wants to get out. Well, if you try to stop that process, the joy that's on the other end of that of holding the child and experiencing the, the beauty of being a mom and all the feelings that come that only come after you've gone through that process, instead of fighting the frustrations in life, become better at how to apply the law of God to those situations so that you're not surprised when you're frustrated. You're not surprised when your children sin. I just had a conversation with somebody recently don't be surprised when your children sin. If you're surprised when they sin and that frustrates you, you need to go back and read your Bible to find out that everybody inherited the sin of Adam. That's right. And there's a, there's a, a bit of wisdom here that every Christian needs to hear because in our mind we have this, this salvation or escape idea of our human relationships. We think that uh, somehow being a Christian is going to make our relationships easier, whether it's with our coworkers or our spouse. But the reality is, uh, and I'm borrowing here from uh, Theodore Roosevelt, he says that anything worth having is worth working hard for. And that's true in a sense that if you work hard and you, you collect a lot of different things, like those things are going to be worth more, right? You work hard for something, collect a lot of money, you're going to buy something more expensive. But it's the other way around as well. Anything worth having was worth working hard for so if the lord said this is your spouse i've put you two together if having a marriage a picture of christ and his bride is worth having if it's worth doing it then it's worth working hard for which means that in the part of our frustration we have to be reminded that god put these two people together God put this marriage together. And so it's worth saving. It's worth working for. It's worth building. And the same is true of our frustrations in our life. Maybe the reason you're frustrated at work is because you're in a job that doesn't cor correlate to your vocation in life. Maybe the reason you're frustrated with your hobbies or your coworkers is you're not allowing your Christian principles or the sovereignty of God to inform those relationships. You're building relationships or friendships for your own personal hobbies or passions rather than God's calling on your life. And if that 
sovereignty of God and God's call in your life is not the center of why you're doing it, when frustration comes, you're not going to have the, the willpower, the ability, the Holy Spirit, the strength, the empowering, the edification necessary to work hard because in your deepest parts of your heart, you know, if God's not behind it, it really isn't worth working hard for. And just to add to what you said in terms of marriage, you know, there's so many different views of marriage today. Some of them have crept into the church and they're unbiblical. This idea that marriage is this egalitarian enterprise and the couple can decide who's in charge or who's not in charge or will anybody be in charge or will they both be in charge? Whatever that mindset is goes against God's word and his mandates in life. So that's going to have frustration for them. But the same way there's going to be frustration if you have this view that to be a good wife, it means that you are never to express your opinion especially if you think your husband's opinion or perspective needs some sort of adjustment. And so instead of deciding that the best marriages are ones where couples don't disagree or couples don't fight, I I would say almost the opposite. It's not a good marriage if the individuals don't bring their individual perspectives because they remain two people joined together in one flesh, but they don't stop being their individual person. And the apparent competing interest or conflict that goes on there, if it's done in a God-honoring way, usually what comes out of it is really good fruit. Because if both people, whether it's a marriage, or whether it's a parent and a child, or a working relationship, if you're going for obeying God, following his commandments, and pursuing the, the Great Commission in all its manifestations, then the fact that you might disagree is part of the process. And that kind of feeling of frustration might be very similar to that baby that's about to be born an idea that's actually better than individual ideas that synthesize together that actually came about because there was some frustration there. That's right. Well, one way that I really frustrate my wife is, you know, she'll create a meal, build a meal, cook a meal, uh, serve it to all of us. Kids will usually eat some of it and complain the whole time. But then afterwards she has to, you know, clean up a meal and, uh, there are times when she has expressed her frustration over preparing, serving, and washing up after a meal. And uh, so those are my reminders that I need to do that or help out more. But there was a article I read online that said that families uh, where the husband does more chores are more likely to end in divorce. It's right here. So, of course, being a, a smart and wise husband, I made sure to take that off of Facebook and, and uh, send it to my <laughs> wife to let her know. You mean you didn't post it on the refrigerator? <laughs> she, she needs to see that even though she's frustrated, I'm skipping out on these chores and it's really saving our marriage. And uh, to that, about a, a week or so later, she finds an article that it says from a, a you know, mainstream magazine that Families or husbands and wives where the husband does more chores uh, have more sexual relations. And so she sends me that one saying, look here, this is the exact opposite <laughs> of what you're saying. And uh, there's a, a 
interesting thing here because what we were both doing is we were both frustrated. You know, I'm working and trying to figure out how to balance thrown in more ways to help her. And she's working and trying to get everything done, but frustrated with the amount of help she has. And both of us went to the world and looked for excuses for our frustration and threw them at each other in the face. Um, instead of coming back and saying, all right, what, what is this frustration revealing about our schedules, our lives, our goals, our <laughs> relationship? And uh, what does it say about our marriage that we're willing to, to trust the New York Times or, or psychology today over what we've done? <laughs> right, right. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's part of applying the scripture to your life, recognizing that you're going to try to justify sin because that's what sinners do. And even though we are more sanctified than we were prior to, obviously, our conversion or since our conversion, that we, we know we're not done yet. And the reason and the way we know we're not done yet is, of course, we're still here. If we were fully ready for heaven, we were fully ready to be glorified, then there would be no need for us to still be here. Because it's not like God needs us in order to accomplish his plan. We're part of, as you put it earlier, being formed into likeness of Jesus Christ. So if we're frustrated, if we are concerned that what we want isn't happening, it's time to reevaluate and say, well, am I sure that what I think should be happening is what God wants to be happening? And if I'm pretty sure that they're together, maybe there's some aspect where I'm not fully applying the law to help me achieve success and stop looking at the law as the law is only good to show me where I'm going to get punished. No, the law shows us where we're going to experience success. That's right. The law, as St. Paul says, is a tutor that leads us to life. And so what we need to hear in our frustration is that the, the law of God has in itself the instructions for bringing us back into uh, normal life, bringing us back into homeostasis. The law has the recipe for bringing balance for bringing justice, for bringing restoration back into our Christian life. We are saved from the consequences of the law so that we might better obey and become like Christ who spoke and wrote the law. You know, Noah Webster, in the adjective aspect of frustrate, uses the word vain. And I think of the preacher saying, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And he was speaking out of a frustration I mean, the book of Ecclesiastes is full of it. But the, one of the favorite passages that I go back to is at the end where he says, hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments. You know, that's a good short description of how to deal with frustration. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's right. And avoid the, the temptation that when we're frustrated, that somehow we can find solution somewhere else. The Lord Jesus says that he is the vine, that we are those branches, and that apart from him, we can do nothing. So in our moment of frustration, we might be tempted to take shortcuts or to look somewhere else for wisdom or knowledge or help. But the Lord says that you're connected to me, and the only way you're able to get through this frustration is by coming back to the vine. Exactly. Well, we've come to the end of our time, Steve. Thanks. I, I always like our discussions because even though I think I know the answer ahead of time, the more we talk, the more I realize that even in this collaborative effort, we can come up with things that 
I didn't anticipate we would. Amen. So recommendation time. I always love to recommend the short book by Rush Dooney, God's Plan for Victory. Because really when we're talking about the Christian life, it's a life of victory to God's purpose. So I would recommend that. Do you have any recommendations before we go? Well, if you're struggling with frustration and you need a better vision of your plan in God's life, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a wonderful little book called Life Together, uh, which is well worth the read. Excellent. All right, listeners, join us next time. And in the meantime, if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, contact us at outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.